listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm dangerously close to ordering takeout. <laughs> yeah, we so, are around stack for recordings today. So. I don't know how it's going to work eating while recording. I apologize in advance. Hopefully it doesn't come through. It probably won't. Yeah, it's a it's a rainy day in Halifax. There's there's no way that's arriving before this we start recording. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this is uh, probably the last episode we're going to record in 2023, I think. Yes, yeah, so let's not mess it up. Yeah, exactly. But I, I do think what we're what we're chatting about today is an interesting topic that probably doesn't come into play for all manufacturers to the degree it does for this manufacturer. But when it does come into play, it's essential. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we don't want to speak in code too much. So I guess folks, what we're talking about is like this notion of you know, when the when you work in a space where the, the your customers have a huge, huge kind of cost of switching providers. Now, here at Kula Partners, we see that a lot in the flexible packaging space. We work in we have a, a number of clients that that work in flexible packaging, as many of you know. And um, you know, when when you know, a big frozen food uh, manufacturer, as an example, decides that they're going to switch over the packaging for uh, a, a product line. They've got to make sure, you know, they've got to be damn sure that that's going to work. The brand needs to present beautifully on the new uh, film. You know, there's lots of considerations from from uh, printing to does it work on the equipment, uh, on and on and on. So, and, and it can be a very, very long uh, process. Uh, it's uh, fraught with uh, potential hiccups and dangers along the way, and and therefore, you know, it, it, it can be a, a tough sell to try to convince somebody to switch suppliers. And there are other categories like that, and that's what today's guest is going to help illuminate. Yeah, absolutely. So joining us today is Jake Jevrick. Jake is the Senior Vice President at LBB Specialties. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Jake. Thank you, gentlemen. Nice to be with you. And, and I just had a, I'm here uh, in, in Brampton, Ontario. Uh, and I, there, there's a large Portuguese population here, so I had a nice Portuguese tart, egg tart. So I'm not, I'm not hungry. I'm satiated for now, so I won't be chewing <laughs> while you guys talk. <laughs> that, that was that was entirely unfair. That, <laughs> that does sound delicious. Though. Yeah, yeah, I that's not you. helping my situation at all. But I, <laughs> I guess I'm somewhat happy for you. But I'm not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, I wonder if you could uh, introduce our, our listeners uh, to, to you and LBB a bit, if you would. Yeah, so I, my, myself, my background is, um, despite being quite involved in marketing and sales, I'm actually a chemical engineer uh, by education. Uh, I, I took an MBA to sort of uh, round off my, my engineering uh, sort of focus um so sort of broaden myself out in the business world but I'm, I'm an engineer so it's this whole concept of marketing and sales um was foreign to me when i when i got into the the distribution business and there's there's an entire industry that if if your listeners don't know of it it's fair because even as a chemical engineer i was not aware of it no one teaches it to you in school but there's an entire chemical distribution uh world out there 
that uh, that exist, and there are chemical distributors, no different than distributors of packaged goods or electronics. You know, you, you send the chemicals into a central warehouse, and then you use that as a hub and spoke model to get it out to the customers because the suppliers that manufacture the chemicals. Um, just just can't handle the the volume of customer needs. Um, they're much more situated for larger um, transactions, singular transactions. So there's an entire world out there of, you know, in the chemical space that m- many folks don't don't see or even even feel that is involved in everything from making the food that you eat, the processed food that you consume, the cosmetics, the cleaners, the paint that you buy at the store. Um, all those all those industries are serviced by this chemical distribution side. And, and that's where LBB and others um, play a role. And LBB has the, the last S, the specialties, because we are a chemical specialty. So we don't, we don't, chase um, large commodity transactions. We are more interested in the the smaller transactions where we are of value, not just to our customers, but also to our suppliers, where we help the suppliers um, service a very disaggregated market with a lot of different needs. You know, you, you could call on, let's say, uh, 10 nail polish manufacturers out there and each nail polish manufacturer will want a different color, a different sparkle look, a different resin, a different binder, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where the chemical engineering chemistry background comes in. A lot of the folks in this industry are actually uh, technically focused, technically based or background. Um, A lot of people come out of labs, things like that, because the level of the industry is so disaggregated at this level that you need to be technical and you need to be able to walk in and basically act as a consultant at almost every account because every account will have different needs. So that's, that's basically the space that I'm in. What drew you from chemical engineering to want to be more on the marketing side of, of the business? Like, was there something interesting there or did you just find that you had an aptitude for it? I there was a recruiter that I I met when I was out of uh, university and he said look buddy you you speak well you present well you should probably try to get into sales um I I I thought he was crazy I I wanted to get a um, a process engineering job at that point so this is back in 2000 and they just weren't around um really if you were a chemical engineer back in 2000 you'd probably have to travel to the US or the oil patch or some other areas it was hard to get a job it was and it just i i went into a technical service and sales role at a large company um called PPG and from there i just jumped into i i really didn't want to get into it it was almost it almost felt like i was betraying my chemical engineering side because you don't really think about technical service on the uh, on the sales side but on the technical sales side i mean it's all technical service it's it's i so i i did not get in here willingly i sort of fell into it and and then when i fell into it and saw the breadth and depth of manufacturing out there and how i could come in and assist uh it just it just became a love affair and then the marketing side that that was really um 
the psychology aspect of it. I, I really enjoy psychology and, and philosophy and, and that the marketing aspect of it at its core, really marketing is psychology, especially if you're going to do ethical marketing. Um, it, you have to have that psychological background to understand, um, you know, where to draw the line, if you will. But, uh, but it, I just tripped into it, quite frankly. It, uh, it's nice to have you over on the dark side, nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, marketing, I, I've, I've said it before, and I think we, we discussed it in the past, it's proper marketing is education. Improper marketing, let's just call it marketing, right? Um, so I, I, we really, in this industry, uh, all of us are uh, LBB specialties and even our competitive uh, distributors. I, we all try, I think, at our best is our attempt is to educate the market, uh, align the market in terms of what is what is out there, what is possible, and the new developments. There's constant new developments. So there's this constant um, push to reinterpret new chemistries that are coming out um, to the sort of the old paradigm of how are you going to fit this widget into your system. Um, even though it's a chemical widget, it, 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 it can give you great improvements into what you're producing, but how do I explain it to you uh, in a way that makes sense and doesn't raise alarms, unnecessary alarms? You, you really want to have a partnership with your client where you are trying to elucidate to them the aspects of this chemistry where if there is a legitimate alarm, you want to raise it. You actually want them to say, no, 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 I, you know, I can't use that because it's going to do this. And then you can have a technical conversation around that. So really in this industry on the marketing side, um, it, it's it's one of the, having seen other industries, this industry on the marketing side is really one of the best that I've seen. Because what I've seen is a consistent push to that alignment and education side that then when it's done properly, builds deep trust and and really allows you to come back in the door of the customer because really what we're doing is we're walking into you know hypothetically you're walking into somebody's kitchen and trying to tell them how to how to make a better you know baked alaska let's say and there has to be trust there and communication and openness for them to let you back in the kitchen you know a month from now when you have something else that's new and exciting to discuss so first of all it's a fascinating um industry and it, it and, and what you're saying resonates with me. This notion that you know, this, of trust-based marketing—that we, you know, w w you know, there, there's a, there, there, the stakes are, are are pretty high here, and you've got to earn your your way in. I guess can you can we peel that back a bit? How how are, how are you doing that? And and um, how are you finding the the you know, yes, building trust may be a number of year long endeavor, but how do you, how does it start in your view? Yeah, you know, and, and I'll step back one more, just one more thing to add to that, to clarify the situation. In this industry, um, a lot of the, the specialty distributors, chemical distributors, will also have, at least the best ones out there, will have a very transparent um, business partnership with their suppliers. So if I'm buying, let's say, hypothetically salt, and I'm going to distribute that salt to all the bakeries in Canada, I I will have very close conversations with my supplier that says, look, you know, we're selling to 300 bakeries across Canada. It's, it's you know, here, here are all the bakeries. Here's what they're doing, you know, with it to, you know, the, one is making bread, one is making cookies. You know, we'll, we'll have that discussion 
so that that salt supplier understands what we're doing, you know, without breaking customer confidentiality, so that that cust- so that supplier can say, hey, I created a new salt, which is not good for bread, but it's really good for baked goods. So then, then they know to bring that to us. They're you know they're not blind to the market. So we do give some transparency to those suppliers, and at the same time, we're trying to give as much transparency and, and technical service to the customer base as well. So that's you're sort of sandwiched between these these two um, entities in the value chain. The way you build trust is one. Um, you basically treat yourself almost like a consultant or a doctor. Whatever is said in in the customer's uh, office is really they have to feel that it's confidential, um, or else you know we'll sign NDAs. But most of the time, you're just sitting down, you're having a discussion. So that level of confidentiality, that level of sensitivity to what customers say, and that has to be disseminated throughout a company overall. Um, we are very sensitive. Um, I'm very sensitive to even if there's a shortage in the market, let's say, and we know that one customer has excess stock of of a certain raw material that other customers might need, we will not tell those other customers in need. We'll call up, you know, customer X. We will act as the intermediary where we will call up customer X, ask for the volume, and then disseminate that to the others if they're willing to give it up. So it's um it's it's a culture that you're trying to build to drive that trust. Uh, you really cannot telegraph that through phrases or jingles or statements. It really has to be in the way you go to market, how you work, um, the things that you you do, and the things that you say you will do, and how you execute against them. And in this industry, at least the way I've always worked is that that's really bottom bottom up and top down. Top down, the executive team has to echo those key aspects bottom up we hire against those key aspects so we hire individuals that and promote them that are trustworthy technical understand the sensitivity of the market Um, it really is a holistic approach there really isn't you're not going to do a linkedin campaign to build trust it's going to be something where the way that you hire the way that you promote the way that you go to market the way that you communicate and the way that you correct mistakes when they inevitably do occur all of that plays into this fostering of a community um that that builds that trust over time so it's really it's inherent in all the people that that work for us um and all of the suppliers that we choose to work with I think in a lot of the situations where, you know, the kinds of products that LBB sells and the sorts of industries that you work with, you know, you're not often, you know, especially at the scale that we're talking about, you're not often kind of selling into somebody entirely net new, although I'm sure that does occur. In a lot of these situations, you're trying to get someone to switch suppliers of a particular, um, particular chemical or something like that. How does that change the dynamic of of how you go to market and how you educate and and uh and keep the client or customer up to speed on it yeah well in terms of switching um that that is it it it, the thousands of SKUs that that any chemical distributor has at least the larger ones that'll have a, a pretty much a full basket of um 
you know, if, if for example, if, if you're a food distributor, you'll have a full basket if, if you're if you're sizable, where you have everything from the starch, the the wheat, right down to the salt, the salt, the yeast. You have all the products, and maybe you want your bakery to switch to your leavening agents, your yeast. Um, it's it's hard for the bakery um, because maybe they're used to that specific yeast that has a certain rate of 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 you know rising and and there is they can they can be a flavor profile issues there's all these things that customers really have to consider when they're making a switch even if it's somewhat of a commodity apple to apple you know yeast to yeast there's still differences generally speaking um what you're trying to do in in any marketplace is you're trying to really get an understanding of who's out there in terms of the customer base and then you are reliant on that customer's needs um, and the need, as they always say, behind the need, which is maybe there's something different about your competitor, the way they package, the way they service. Maybe there's something that you can offer that is enough of a motivation to have them even evaluate a switch. But often, what what really happens more often than not is that there is some kind of an operational inefficiency. Uh, your competitor can't supply because they're sold out. Your competitor has a hiccup. Um, a, a, a host of issues that can occur that you as a competitive distributor and supplier would have to have enough insight to see those potentials occurring and then bolster your business that when that issue does occur, you are ready to pounce and to offer that value-added service. And really, it, it does come down to, A, having the trust, which allows you to have the relationship to understand, first and foremost, what the customer base is doing. That's a challenge in and of itself. I, I challenge any... Any sales manager to tell me that you know all of their salespeople have um, you know the top five projects for their customers laid out that they understand where their customers are going in the next two years, three years, four years, five years. I mean that's a challenge in and of itself. Um, but it, it it does come down to that sort of alignment aspect of being ready uh, to make a change when the customer sees that need. Otherwise, it really does come down to the the same aspect of driving value uh, at some level, and, and that value can be price. But more often than not, the price is the competition makes for honest honest fellows. So the competition out there, I mean, I I'm one distributor carrying one product line. There's ten other distributors, each of them carrying ten other product lines, uh, and then there's a smorgasbord of other agents out there. So there's a lot of competition. The pricing is is pretty much competitive no matter where you go. So a lot of the time, what's happening is it's really service. It's service, and if I'm buying yeast from you or salt from you, I mean it's it's an additive. I don't want to think. I don't want to spend any time as a bakery thinking that I could run out of salt and yeast. But it just it's so I need to trust you. I need to know that you're fully aligned. And all of that has an entire um strategy that 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 lies behind it in terms of how you as a distributor will make sure that you are in a good position where you have a critical existing mass of sales that you can pounce on any changes in the market. And at the same time that you have those relationships and you're constantly communicating 
um, with the customer base of what is happening in the market and what am I missing in terms of my value proposition and what are the competitors missing that I can maybe capitalize on. So it's it's a very nebulous, very active, um, you have thousands of product lines, each of them have dozens of competitors. So you have to have a system by which you can catalog all of that and make sense of it in real time um, and have a sales team that is that is highly trusted, not just trusted, but highly trusted, highly beloved by the customer base to then execute against, against that. You know, we always want to be the first phone call you make when you have a problem. And one of the maybe challenges as a marketer as you look at this kind of a situation is it can really seem like it all is just coming down to hand-to-hand combat, right? Yeah. Like, you know, almost as a marketer, it doesn't matter, really matter what you do. It's just, just up to whether or not the salesperson's any good. And if they're not, well, then... Well, you're screwed. And if they're good, well, then you're going to succeed, which maybe that's just the honest reflection of it, but it doesn't seem particularly empowering. I'm trying to, I'm trying to look for what is the, where's the scale here? Now, uh, you know, how can we, how, how, can, how can marketers be part of that equation of, uh, of, of, of driving uh, trust in advance of sales contact? Or alternatively, is the role really, does it come down to um, what you provide uh, sales to use that helps create more speed to trust, shall we say? Like, is there a ways that you can uh, feed the sales organization uh, collateral materials, uh, processes, et cetera, that help uh, accelerate that speed to trust? Is that, I guess, is that the way you think about it? Uh, kind of impacting it on the sales side? And then I'm kind of curious if on the pure marketing side, if there's anything that can be done. It, I, it, that's exactly the way we think of it. And in, in this situation, the marketing role really does get, um, it becomes disaggregated where to some extent, um, everyone is involved in that marketing aspect, right from the CEO, right down to the product managers that manage each product and the sales team. So to your point, is it sales focused? It, it is. And some of the tools as a marketer that you can offer is if, if I was a pure marketer and I had no idea what this industry was about and I get parachuted in, but I'm really good at human psychology as, as every good marketer who can jump from industry to industry should be, then what you would put on is you would put on your psychology hat and you would say, okay, I have an industry that's highly disaggregated. I have salespeople running around. Those salespeople need to understand um, the products that they're selling and how they're selling it, which means that your suppliers now become um, this focus because it's the suppliers that have the technical knowledge. The sales team should be technically competent to digest that knowledge and then regurgitate it back properly to each customer in each customer's language and depending on the industry. So as a marketer, what ends up happening is you stop, you know, B2C, you're very out there in the open, you're, you're advertising to the customer base. Here, the first step is you're going to have to start advertising and marketing to the internal organization to make sure that the channels of communication are open, to make sure that those channels of communication are constantly being um, 
fostered and you know it, it's almost like a seed you got to keep it watered and, and keep it healthy and make sure that it grows into a big oak and then when it's a big oak you're trimming the dead branches so the marketing group yes they still do brochures and those brochures uh, have to be evaluated so that they're clear and concise otherwise with hundreds of products you can get very very convoluted in your marketing brochures but at the same time the marketing team is looking at things and saying how do i help the supplier bridge that gap with my sales team in a way that it doesn't inconvenience the supplier because not only are we trying to help the customer and be of convenience and ease for the customer we're also trying to be of ease and convenience for the supplier so that there's that that effortless bridge so all of the the aspects of either um, a, a learning module or a continuous education module like i said it, it goes back to that education front i mean the a marketer in this industry almost becomes a pedagogue, like a teacher. You become this master philosopher of, you know, how do I, how do I keep people engaged? How do I keep people aligned? And you're working with all of the managers and the executives um, to ensure that that the best marketing tools that are available out there, which continue to to pop up due to the uh, the brain analytics that they're performing on us these days with MRIs, um, that that we are taking those really pedagogical lessons and applying them to to our marketing efforts which again it just goes back to to education you can you make sure that all the collateral has the right look the right color the right feel so that you know that itself the brand is bringing trust you make sure that the positioning uh, again you're you're selling hundreds to thousands of different products so you're not positioning each product you're positioning the company itself in the market just just the company itself needs its own positioning its own branding so that it stands out and that it that it stands for what you say it will stand for it's a very to your point nebulous and challenging role for any marketer to accomplish and you have to leverage um other business managers to do it a lot a lot of them are going to be people like me chemical engineers that hopefully took up marketing and understand what you're doing and maybe did not take up marketing and have no idea what you're doing and sort of shake their head and think it's all fluff but it's a very challenging role and um and the sales side to your point it is key is making sure and there's a lot of coaching with sales management involved but making sure that that you're working with the sales manager now on the sales side um, to ensure that you are applying best practices in terms of again the pedagogical approach and and how we are uh, branding the company as well as the products to some extent and and positioning them and what tools do you need you know what makes it easy for you so that information is at your fingertips not just from the ERP or the CRM but also just in terms of is there anything I can give you that stands out? What are the competitors doing? It's to your point, I'd love to give one aspect of it, but unfortunately in this industry as a marketer, if you come in and you're not aware of the industry, you'll be pushed into the deep end um, and you'll have to tread water and, and you'll have to tread water in an industry that is a little conservative because we don't want to be too outlandish. At least that's what I've seen from the other competitors. There's, there isn't this desire to go viral. Um, there is a desire to establish deep, meaningful relationships at, at every level. Well, you mentioned the competitors, and that's an interesting point because, of course, 
I guess are they all playing the same game? I'm curious. Have you seen what kind of kind of competitive differences have you seen in the way um, people in this space are presenting their their brand, their position? Um, or is it a is it a sea of sameness, or are you seeing some differences? There are differences. I think that there's a, a big divide. Um, the, the two large differences are either I'm a very large uh, distributor and I will leverage my um, my network and my size and my scope. So I, if I'm a large distributor, I will tell you I, you know, I, I have X number of salespeople and there's a transactional efficiency that I can employ to you, Mr. Supplier. So they're often they're on the larger side, they are advertising to their suppliers that dealing with me um, has transactional efficiency and 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 I'm large enough that you can trust that I'm turning over every stone that's out there. Whereas on the smaller mid-size regional side, so distributors that might only be in a couple of states, for example, or maybe, you know, just covering Eastern Canada, not all of Canada, or or just the East Coast of the US, those distributors, at least in this industry, are are trying to telegraph um, the more sort of hands-on personal touch that that yes, we are smaller, but we are regionally smaller. So even though you might look at a larger distributor where you have that transactional efficiency. You're going to have the same transactional efficiency with us, but we are smaller and we are sort of the local guys here that everybody likes. Um, and, you know, and we never stop working and you don't have to worry about employee turnover or maybe being lost in the shuffle of other product lines that a larger distributor would have. So you do see that type of, of uh, differentiation. Um, and on the customer side, uh, I think really what customers want to see, and, it, and it's more difficult perhaps on the customer side because customers really want to see technical salespeople. They really want to see inventory being held for them. They want to see a responsiveness um, to, their, to their problems and issues when they do arise, either be it something that involves you or involves one of your competitors. Uh, but it, there is a divide between the large and the small. Now, some of the large guys or the mid-sized guys are trying to tread water in that that mid-range where they're trying to telegraph, look how big we are, but at the same time, we have that regional touch. Um, and then there's hits and misses there in terms of their ability to, to enact that um, sort of marketing campaign. Uh, because you'll have, you'll have suppliers. I mean, suppliers will talk to customers as well. They'll They'll ask customers, who do you like as a distributor? I'm, I'm thinking of making a change. And that change can be transformational to whoever they make a change to because they'll take their book of business with them. And customers will tell them, well, I like this guy. I don't like that guy. He never has inventory. It's, it's um, again, a very disaggregated industry. Um, but there is that, that divide of I'm big, I'm transactionally efficient versus I'm smaller, I'm still going to be efficient. But you're going to be a lot more important to me, Mr. Supplier, if you come with me because I am smaller and I care more. Jake, this has been a fascinating conversation. I think uh, we keep going here. I feel like um, uh, there's as many questions as there are answers in this uh, kind of nuanced space. But I really thank you for sharing your experience and expertise with us. It's been lovely to have you on the show. Well, it's happy to be a part of it. Thank you so much for the invite. Great to chat with you, Jake. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. 
Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.